Welcome to the 401 Access Denied podcast. My name is Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic and co-host of the show. This podcast is all about making cybersecurity easy, usable, and fun. Come back every two weeks to listen in and learn about what's the latest news, or even submit your own questions via the community. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode here of 401 Access Denied. So um, another fun topic uh, for our audience to listen to today. Yeah, very uh, excited about this one. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's one that can be quite confusing. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people kind of, they misinterpret it, they don't understand what it means and, and, and the emphasis. And, and we're going to try and simplify it today. We're going to try and make it easy and we're going to try and make it fun as well. Because I'd like to add a, a few bit of metaphors in as well to try and simplify things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the topic today is the principle of least privilege. And what what the hell does it mean? Yeah. <laughs> what does people think about least privilege means? You know, okay, um, you know, do I have to keep asking permission every time? <laughs> it's like right. every, time, every time I open the fridge door, do I have to ask? Am I allowed to open that fridge door? And ultimately, that's really what you know the principle of least privilege is really defining. But we can make it a little bit more less. Uh, let's say friction. We can make mm-hmm. it more automated. I think that's some of the key things here. Um, so, I mean, from you, you know, um, from the principal least privilege, what's, what's your experience or definition that you've heard in the past? So for me, my, my personal sort of definition is pr- making sure people have exactly what they need in order to do their job effectively and efficiently. Really, no more, no less. Um, less is definitely, you know, I, I, I don't want security to be a blocker. I don't want people to not be able to do a thing if, you know, and so if they need that access in order to be effective, um, then let's make sure they're trained and understand the implications of having that access. Um, mm-hmm. And then I feel comfortable. Um, and then also the, right, you don't want people to have access to things that they just don't need access to if they don't have, if there's no reason for you to have an account on the system, there's no reason for you to have an account on that system. And so it's really about minimizing um, people's role, you know, minimizing mm-hmm. security or, or, or privileges to the person's role, their job function, and what they need to do to be effective. Um, And I look at it really as an enabler more than as a blocker, right? What, you know, I sort of start from a zero perspective. You have zero access Mm -hmm. and I'll give you everything you need in order to get you what you need rather than Uh, taking things away. Absolutely. And the way I see it as well is that least privilege or the principal least privilege is really that kind of an enabler or the enforcer or things like, you know, as you mentioned, zero trust. Right. uh, Where people really start off with zero privileges. The first time you see something on the network or the first time you get an uh, authentication request, or the first time you're getting, you know, somebody who's VPNing in or opening up an application, really what, you know, what is it there, you know, is that person verified? Are they approved and authorized to do that? What authority do they have? And this is really consistent zero trust magnet. I'm not a big fan of the term zero trust because we always get into insecurity. We're sometimes known as, you know, the negative, the no side. Right. We, say, we, we say no, no to everything. If, it, if it's a security risk, no. You know, can I connect my BOIOD device? No. No. <laughs> no <can I? laughs> and, it, so, and I don't want to be confused with the no's. You know, when we have to, and, and zero trust is another one of those negative perceptions that we get in the security industry. And we need to change, we need to change, you know, in this industry, we need to be more positive. We mm-hmm. need to be able to be enablers of security. How to make it fun, how to make employees gain access without pain or without taking longer, without, you know, getting access denied. Um, right. how, do we, how we enable authorized approved access easy and simplified. And zero trust is, is an, a way of doing that. But I think, you know, many people see it as this continuous verification. 
and it will create friction in the current kind of approach. We definitely need to make it where I see it as it's about building trust. Mm-hmm. It's about enabling the access. It's about um, some adaptive security where security becomes breathable. Security doesn't always have to be static. Right. It can, it's a living organism. It's always moving. It's evolving. And that's what we have to get to is that it focuses around the ease of use. It focuses around the positivity and it focuses around employees getting the access they need on demand when they need it. And least privilege is a starting point, but you have to make sure that you enable and you look at the right, let's say, metrics or right um, security controls that satisfy the risk. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, I really like um, Gartner's model because uh, Forrester kind of introduced zero trust and, and really the, kind of, the principle of least privilege was evolved around that because it really started off at a time um, when you had a lot of devices which were getting viruses. Mm-hmm. And then uh, companies came up with network segmentation. So you would take that device, quarantine it off into another VLAN or sub, you know, uh, uh, part of the network where it didn't have access to anything. And it wouldn't get back on the network until that device had cleared up and the virus was gone and it was cleaned or restored and so forth. And that was really that kind of, and then of course we introduced things like the BYOD model, bringing mm-hmm. the device. And this really kind of get into, well, where is the perimeter? The perimeter is disappearing in cloud digital transformation and uh, people are bringing on their devices and should we allow them on the same network or not? Um, so really we get into the principle of these privileges. I always like to use metaphors into trying to explain it. And I've, when I, I did write a book called Least Privileged Cybersecurity for Dummies, not just for dummies. It's, it's, a, it's a book for smart people. The dummies format is that it's a quick read and simple to consume. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the purpose of it. But I used a lot of metaphors. And one of the metaphors, uh, one, one that I use uh, frequently is always about a bank. When you go mm-hmm. into the bank vault, um, you get access to the big bank door, you open up the door, you go in, and you might have many deposit boxes in there that all have their own keys and all locked. And that's what basically the Prince of Least Privilege is, is that I might have the ability to get through one door, but when I get through that door and I have multiple doors that I, unless I have the key to those specific deposit boxes, I can't access it. Right. So that's what I kind of look at the difference between, you know, authentication and authorization. I have mm-hmm. authentication, which gives me access to the bank um, from an identity and it gets me through the door of the vault. But now I can't access the valuables until I actually do another verification that I should have access to that. And it's the same thing. You can take that bank vault and you can replicate that metaphor into, for example, a jewelry, jewelry store. Mm-hmm. You get through the door of the jewelry store and you have all of the kind of the, the valuables things. You might have some things that's less valuable or common that are out and, you know, you can, you can directly touch them. But the more valuable stuff is in these clothes, glasses, and, and, and more security is applied to them. Um, so that, again, is taking that principle of least privilege is that in order to get access to it, you have to ask and the person has to give you permission. And of right. course, that could be automated. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, one of the things I think about uh, least privilege a lot in terms of people, but the beauty of like DevSecOps and infrastructure's mm-hmm. code is that it's becoming more and more easy to really apply it to the infrastructure within an organ, you know, to the actual code, the, the machines, what mm-hmm. does this actual server have to talk to that server and making sure the network connections are there, what ports, um, and really applying at that level. And I think it's um, the metaphor of the the bank vault and the, um, and the jewelry store ring true, you know, in, in sort of conceptually and understanding it from a person perspective, but then also how do you then apply it beyond just people and, and, mm-hmm. and to systems as well? Absolutely. That's I mean, like, I, I've got, I mean, one of the things when I started off, you know, kind of in this industry, I mean, I've been 25 years now, so a long right. time from things like health service and ambulance service. But there was one company when I was working for uh, in Australia, 
And I was a, uh, it was called my, my role, the job responsibility was called infrastructure tool specialist. And it meant that basically, you know, fancy titles, you know, <laughs> fancy fancy title. titles. So really what it meant is that anything that went in the data center, I was responsible for. So any mm-hmm. tool, any hardware that went in the data center, I had to sign it off, make sure one was licensed, that, you know, all the security things and configurations was hardened. And, you know, a lot of the clients in the data center were, you know, companies like banks, mineral mm-hmm. companies, food, television networks, logistics companies, uh, were all having their own different cages within the, uh, within the, the data center. And I had domain rights. I had full AD domain rights that I could right. access all, every single one of those. Now, the physical security, you can like get through the door and you get your big furry coat and your earmuffs. Yep. And you, you know, get into the cage. And I used to remember one thing I used to do was, uh, you know, open the CD tray. <laughs> so that I, knew, I knew which server I was meant to be working on in the cage. <laughs> and then it got really confusing because you may have two people working in that cage or three people at once and you all went in at the same time and everyone's looking. It's like, you've got... CD trays opened. <laughs> so which which one was the one I was meant to be working on? Right. Um, so and then we got into the blinking lights. And yeah, I was gonna say, and when I went into the cage, it was always the blinking light, and I had somebody remote who was tur- tur- blinking the light of the machine I needed to to take a look at or whatever with my uh, furry coat. Um, yeah. I also remember um, being so the first time I went into the cage, I was. I, it didn't hit, it didn't occur to me right away like why were the some of the machine all of the machines were further away from the edge it's like yeah so that people who don't have access to the cage can't just plug something in it's like oh that makes sense <laughs> yep, you can't just put your arm through the, the through the cell as a couple of like geo cells and plug right. a usb plug in yep. so yeah we, we got to the point where at the end we started playing our favorite songs <laughs> so you know, the internal speakers and playing your oh playing nice <laughs> Um, so it was a lot of, I mean, that, those were the days where, you know, you did what you did to get your job done right. and you made, you made it fun as much as you possibly can. It, even we had a lot of fun doing things like the blue screen screensaver. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. We disconnected the, 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 the mouse and the keyboard. <laughs> um, so when people came in and they were doing the work and they're like, Oh, I just, the blue screensaver, nothing's working. Like the keyboard's not working. The mouse is not working. And all it was, was the blue screensaver in the background. Right. Uh, so it was a lot of fun those times, but uh, one of the things I quickly realized that when I was working in those cages, uh, that the physical security didn't really kind of, when you looked at it, I was basically going home, I had a laptop, VPN mm-hmm. access, I could I remote directly in, just like I was doing, open the CD trays and, and playing the music, I had full access to everything. Right. And it really got me, that was a moment um, between my transition, because I was a network specialist, infrastructure tools for deploying operating systems, deploying hardware. Uh, I was heavily involved in things like rib boards and uh, drag controllers. And um, if you remember Compact Insight Manager, that was another one of the, the, mm-hmm. the solutions I worked in. And so one of the things I realized that, you know, as I moved out of those roles and I was transitioning into more of a security focus, I realized that that should never happen. What, I, what access I had was too much privilege access. Right. And I needed to get into where I would have the least amount of privileges. And even in my home machines, they're all standard users. Mm-hmm. So that when I click on something that's requesting some type of installing an application or a browser extension, I know what type of access it's requesting. It's always prompting me for more credentials. Mm-hmm. And that's for me to make sure that, you know, I don't click on something or a family member doesn't click on something that can accidentally be ransomware or be a malicious link. Um, so always running that least privilege allows you to make sure you've got more visibility into what elevated requests are happening. And you can get into really, you know, the one that I've used the most example, especially in the metaphors, 
is most of us have all stayed in hotels. If you've traveled, you've stayed in the hotel and you go into the hotel, when you get into the reception desk, you'll get a key card and that key card will go and open up um, you know, the elevator and it might mm-hmm. give you access to a specific floor. Um, it'll is. But the problem is, is that you know what we end up having is overprivileged. A lot of people will get that hotel card, for example, maintenance staff right. or the cleaners, and their cards open every single door. They open all the doors and all access. And that's what basically attackers are trying to do is they're not, they might use my key card to get one foot in the door, mm-hmm. but they're really after and trying to basically influence those others, the cleaners or the maintenance staff or the hotel workers to get their elevator, get their keys to the kingdom for their card and right. clone and copy those so they can move throughout the network. Um, and that becomes a serious problem for many companies. Yeah. And actually it's, it's funny you bring up the, the cleaners um, because one of the other aspects of least privilege in my mind is time. So for example, our cleaning staff has access to our office, um, but they, we are able to control when their key card works and when it doesn't uh, so that it, you know, we, again, we minimize, you know, if somebody were to compromise that card, we, mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about it, you know, going on, you know, somebody going in at 2am. And so there's, there's not just the, what do you need access to, but for how long and, and when do you need it? That was, um, it's another aspect of, of least privilege that I think is sometimes overlooked. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about basically time-based and so, but, um, you know, security controls, are you satisfying the security controls before you get access? Mm-hmm. Um, so it really gets into one of the things I look at, there was a good, uh, article that came out. It was actually, a uh, U.S. CERT and uh, Department of Homeland Security. It was when WannaCry and NotPetya and all of the major mm-hmm. ransomware were creating havoc, havoc in the industry that they came out with this article about best practices, how to mitigate. And within that, it was about controlling local administrator rights. So no mm-hmm. one should be the local administrator in their systems. And it was also using things like application control to make sure that you're se- separating kernel level tasks and user context tasks so that when an application, you can determine Basically, is that an application known? And of course, you can look at things like, you know, whether it being integration of the virus total, has this you know, file hash ever been seen before? Right. So this is really where you combine all of those pieces together. And we have to remember least privilege, you know, it's not just about, you know, being a local accountant and a system and doing it these granular uh, elevation controls and time-based on-demand and all these verification checks. But it also gets into going into microservices into web applications and into SaaS-based applications. So you might look at least privilege from all aspects of connectivity, of applications, of data access, and trying to get down to the granular level that every time you click on something, every time you open up a menu option or click on a piece of data, is that every of those background checks, it checks, am I authorized and verified to do that? Um, and that gets into is that you might go through, you know, and that's why I talked about earlier about building trust. It's all about trust uh, frameworks and building trust and saying that if my security control has satisfied me to be at this set level um, of, of, let's say, level of trust, um, then anything at that same level, I don't need to go on and re-authenticate and redo again unless right. my risk changes. Uh, but if I need to level up floor and get it into the next level that has more sensitivity, I always prefer to do it in my background of being data centers. You, know, you have the data center classification. Uh, I like to see as, you know, moving into evolution of risk classification mm-hmm. is the higher level of risk, um, the more sensitivity. I might be looking at one record of a patient um, if you're a doctor right. and that risk is now minimal to that one record. 
but I'm now looking at the entire database. That's a whole different level of risk. So yep. it should be risk classification and it should be always about making sure that uh, if you need to level up um, a privilege or, or increase the risk, then you need to satisfy more secure controls, whether it being multi-factor authentication, VPN access, accessing from a specific machine, time-based, monitoring and recording all my activities and keystrokes mm-hmm. uh, to having my colleague approve me getting access to that database. Right. Actually, the, the colleague approval is an interesting one because we... Um one of the things that we we do with multi-factor is um, make it such that we actually require two people in order to do Mm -hmm. some of the really high level administrative things where one person, you know, sort of like uh, my last job, uh, we were able to do this where we put the multi-factor authentication device Mm -hmm. inside a safe. I didn't have the, or rather I did have the, um, you know, the code to the safe, um, but one of the administrators had the password that was necessary. So the two of us always had to work together and check and balance to make sure that like what we're about to do. And, we, and we, that was for the highest, you know, risk systems and for the, the stuff with the most um, potential loss. Of, yeah. Segregation of duties. That's exactly, exactly. what it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's to make sure that one person can occlude by themselves. And then right. in the data, when I worked in the data centers, no cage, there's cages, mm-hmm. we would have a, a rotation. So one month I'd be assigned to cage A. And then next month I go to cage B or C and, and we kind of, and then there's another team who came behind you and basically audited your work. Oh, wow. So, so and legally and, you know, in your contract, we weren't allowed to mingle socially. Right. Uh, to, to even reduce it down because of course you're working for banks, you're working for food organizations and, and uh, telcos and you come through and then want to make sure the reduction, but even to your point, um, having that dual, dual access workflows or dual uh, authentication, dual requirements, I've seen that heavily used in companies like gaming mm-hmm. uh, or gambling machines where you would have one person who has the key to the door and the other person who has the key to update the software. Right. No one person has both. Uh, same, you know, I've seen the same concept in uh, ATMs as well. Um, right. Any types of, you know, critical infrastructure, any types of sensitive systems, um, that two key approach. Type of abuse um, to make sure that, you know, they're not uh, you know, abusing the authentication authorization to be given. So, um, and I, I, recording sessions as well does that same effect. Right. Doing remote access and your recession is being completely recorded that has that same type of effect. Yeah, uh, that was the company I worked at previously. We were doing a lot of recording. Mostly in the beginning was about communications and and analyzing human behavior and communication behavior. But then we started getting into ingesting endpoint data and other things to look for those. Um, And then um, one of the things that, you know, I think again, back to DevSecOps, one of the cool things Mm -hmm. is that now that so much of the access can be controlled in configuration. We apply good software engineering practices and now actually requires two or three people to approve a pull request to go ahead and grant somebody access to a system. So there's no way, you know, someone can sort of sneak something and it's pretty, you know, it would be um, very, very difficult for someone to sort of get access to something without at least Mm -hmm. three other people knowing about it. Um, so. I think absolutely. For me, I think that's one of the crucial things is that it really prevents people from abusing. You know, because mm-hmm. um, when I was the domain administrator, I was known as the fix it guy. Right. Right. It happened. I could fix it, but you know, for me to do that, sometimes I was sacrificing security for ease of you know getting things up and running quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and you know, we need to you know move away from that. Is that you can have things work and get up and running quickly, but at the same time, not sacri- sacrificing security as a result of that. 
And I right. think that's what's important. So hopefully for the audience, hopefully for those listening in, that we've really taken these privileges and zero trusts and, um, you know, all of those things and made it simplified into, you know, some of the metaphors were like a bank vault or the jewelry store. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite uses, of course, is the hotel one, because I can go into that in a lot of detail. Uh, uh, for me, it's it's actually my family and whether or not, like, so I have multiple accounts mm-hmm. on my, every, you know, on our, our computers, every kid has their own account. Um, and we sort of limit, you know, when they were younger, how much do, you know, how much access do they need? What apps do they need to run? And, you know, as they've gotten older, we've sort of opened it up more and more so that I'm not constantly going over to the keyboard and, and giving them access to stuff. And, um, but it's the same thing. It's like, would you give your kid the, you know, your, your ATM card and pin, um, if they're seven and just be like, yeah, cool. You know, like it's the, you know, that same thing. With no, with no limit. <laughs> with no, exactly, exactly. And no oversight, no anything, right? They just have access to the bank account. Like, it's the same thing. Like, we do a lot of banking from our computer. So let's, you know, let's make sure that that's segregated off and, and that people who don't need access to that aspect of what we do um, or our taxes or any of those types of things. So yeah, Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's all about, you know, um, I think many organizations can definitely reduce a lot of risk right. from doing lease privilege um, and avoid a lot, but also make it usable. Make yeah. it that it's not creating friction. Those those uh, security controls can be automated and done in the background. And I think that's really you know the direction is to make security usable, make it breathable, make it like a living organism. Where the you know the fence can increase and decrease as mm-hmm. that's increase and decrease out there. Um, you know, make sure your your security is adaptive to to your business needs. Yeah, and the 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 other thing that I think is really important is uh, again on the saying yes is understanding that nobody wants to, no, there, there's very few really bad actors, right? So uh, at least insiders, right? So giving someone access to a thing so that they can do their job better or more effectively or more efficiently um, might just require, again, I, I think I mentioned at the top, sort of just training and making sure that they understand the implications of what they have. Um, and I find that people will, once they have that, they treat things way more securely, way, you know, they, they're conscious of it and it's front of mind and they sort of are appreciative of, hey, you trust me to do this thing. You've given me access to do this. I can't tell you how many times people come back to me and, you know, I've given them, you know, a little bit of admin privilege and they, they'll come back to me and they're asking me like, hey, can I do this? Should I do this? You know, they're they're very careful and they treat the system very precious. Um, and so I think that that's an important part. Yeah, it's like when you're giving the company credit card and yeah. you, you, you spend it like it's your own money. Um, right. not, actually, I think, yeah. I, I think I spend it way more. I think the company credit card is actually at a, not like my own money. But. <laughs> but, but, but what I mean by that is you're, yeah. you're a lot more conscious. You take a lot more, you know, it's, it's not like you're spending it like it's someone else's money and right. you don't really care about the result is you actually really treat it. And you think about that, you know, what's the consequences you plan and in your budget, you, 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 yeah. you, you spend it wisely is yes. what I say. Um, but I agree with, you know, what you mentioned is the areas about when people know it's, it's all about accountability mm-hmm. and responsibility. When people know that they're accountable for it and they're responsible and that you say what's uh, allowed and what's not allowed and you're very clear in your policies, then people will follow them. Uh, exactly. If, if, if your policies are very vague and very kind of you know, unclear, um, people will basically abuse it and not know they're abusing it. Um, so it's important to make sure that uh, when you're doing your policies at the beginning, that you make it very, very specific and very precise. Otherwise, right. people don't know that they're actually doing something wrong. Yeah, also, uh, I think why is an important part of the policy. Making sure that people understand why this is an important thing. Um, I think they, people tend to take things 
understand more if they understand the implications of, of why I have to do it this way and, and so on and so forth. So, um, and, and making policies really digestible, I think, um, is an important part as well. I like to throw, I have like, we have our like official policies that are Mm -hmm. all, you know, the stuff that we send out to customers, but then the internal one usually is a little more digestible, has some stories, has some funny elements to it just to sort of help like deliver the, like, this is why we do the thing. So So that that reminds me, I did, I did years ago um, in one of my former jobs was that uh, it was for a major transportation company and we were doing this uh, vulnerability assessment. And what ended up happening was that we were failing, we were rolling out a new IT strategy and it was very aggressive security. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where it was really, you know, creating friction with the employees. And we were using very traditional IT methods to deploying policies through email. These very long, it's like a EULA, you know, you just like, I'm, right. I'm, click, yes, okay, I'm done. Yeah, exactly. But we actually brought in school children to try and find out what we were doing wrong. And ultimately what they end up showing us is that, oh, you know, this is simple. Um, you know, it's too much text, just make graphics, make an image, storyboard. Right, And we end up changing the IT security policy into storyboards. And then we get into getting into, well, you know, we were sending these by email before and we weren't really getting the, the, the traction. Mm-hmm. And the next thing was, is that we actually took those storyboards and we actually put them in the bathroom doors, in the back of the doors, in the cubicles. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because the kids were like, you have two minutes of uninterrupted focus every <laughs> day of the week. Uh, what more can you ask for? Because right. email doesn't give you that attention. Right. Um, and it was basically, you know, those became three months rotation storyboards about, you know, plugging in USB sticks and choosing good password management mm-hmm. and, um, about, you know, uh, out, being careful about when you're accessing from public websites and stuff or public uh, Wi-Fi access points. And it really kind of really made a difference into one is that it meant that everyone was actually getting attention to it. Um, we're all human. We all need to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, as well, is that we didn't need to translate it because it was very little text in there. It was all about basically just the graphics. It was going back to the good old comic book mm-hmm. um, of all ages. Um, and it really made kind of re- me realize about some of the effective ways to communicate. And sometimes, yes, we do have to bring in other experts. And in that case, it was children. Uh, mm-hmm. where the experts have really changed our, our ability to communicate better. Uh, I think for me, absolutely, is, is making it digestible, as you mentioned, making mm-hmm. it simplified. Um, doing it in small bites, uh, yes. chunks, small chunks as well is important because if you, you, know, if you throw a 300, you know, 900 page book at someone, they're going to look at you and go, okay, you know, I'm not going to be able to do my job for a year until I read this. But if right. you give somebody, you know, a one A4 page, you know, graphic uh, storyboard about why they shouldn't do something or why they should do something in a certain way, that is more consumable. That's more also measurable as well. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we need to be able to measure these because if you can't measure, what's the point? Yep. Couldn't agree more. So I think at that point, I think we'll end it there because yeah, I think, I think it's a great place <laughs> to, to leave it off. Um, but yeah, I could talk about this type of stuff. All, this is, yeah, I could talk about this all day. So I think it's Absolutely. a great place. Yeah, for, I always for, enjoy for speaking with you. Yeah. For me who travels a lot and spend a lot of time in hotels, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of metaphors from hotel experiences. There you um, go. That's why but, all of my metaphors revolve around me and my family and my kids. Cause I don't travel that much. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you, you will do some point, but I, I, what I want to do in a future show and I'll leave at some point in time is, is funny comical stories from, you know, one is from comical stories from traveling mm-hmm. and also some of those comical things we did in the past 
um, whether, you know, so something you've messed up. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. In IT. Um, and something like, you know, the blue screen screensaver that I've done in the past, which was always hilarious. Yes. Uh, I, so I have some good uh, stories on that one as well. <laughs> we'll keep one of those, uh, you know, from the future shows, um, for, you know, so people can have a good, you know, bringing the fun back into cybersecurity and making it more positive. Uh, I'm bringing the last back. So, uh, so for the, the audience, again, many thanks for uh, spending you know another episode with us. I hope this was interesting. I hope we've made least privilege uh, much more simplified into what it really means and what things you can do, and also how important it is to reducing risk and how important it is to make it also digestible. Uh, stay tuned. Come back, you know, every two weeks for for more episodes. Um, hopefully, these will be fun and, and educational, and uh, you know, stay connected. Look for us on social media. Um, reach out with your comments and questions and stay safe and have fun. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.